His Spirit um, like rivers of living water. And so, Lord, would you pour that out upon us? I'm so thankful again for the way our song service started with a prayer for revival. I'm going to ask uh, Brother McCain Chun, good to have you all here with us today, your family, and would you lead us in prayer right now? Amen. I'm going to read again 1 Kings chapter 2, the first three verses. As we, uh, I told you that today um, would be our, our last time to look at this subject. It came from Genesis 127 where it says God made them male and female. So the last day on what it means, on the front lines, what it means to be a biblical man, a godly man. And we've chosen as our, as our sort of theme text that um, summarizes what Scripture uh, teaches in regards to biblical manhood of First Kings 2, verses 1 through 3. And so, we'll try to finish that today. And by today, I mean today. I mean today and this evening. So, we could go on for days and days, but I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to finish today. But it invites you all to come back and finish out with us this evening. Now, the days of David drew nigh that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. And so as one generation Transitions to the next generation. The charge is to this generation of here's a king, but a man, a son, Solomon, David's son, is to be strong, to show himself a man, and then to keep the charge of the Lord his God that his generation might prosper. They might prosper in doing all that God had commanded. They might prosper in this kingdom growing and flourishing so we've been looking at these, these in, ingredients of initiative. Show thyself a man. What it means to have godly initiative. And we've looked at what it means biblically to have to be a man of strength. So these ingredients, initiative and strength, are designed, are wired in us and then to be developed in us by our walk with the Lord in order that we as men might fulfill God's command to keep the charge. This idea of keeping the charge is the idea that God has, 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 has given us a possession, a precious possession. And it's our commission that that possession might be protected and that it might be flourishing. And it might flourish. It might grow. It might increase. It might abound in goodness. Keep the charge of the Lord thy God. So I want to think more deeply about keeping the charge today. and What it means as men to keep the charge. But I want to begin by just talking for a few minutes about the urgency of this subject. 
It's an urgency that was hinted at in the first hymn that we sang, where it says in verse 5, Where are those we counted leaders, filled with zeal and love and truth? Old professors, tall as cedars, bright examples of our youth. In God's providence, my Bible reading this week has been in Ecclesiastes. And so it's as if I've, as if, as if I've been living um, between two worlds. The first world being 1 Kings 2, verses 1 through 3, where Solomon is receiving this commission. He's just beginning this, um, this mission that God has called him to, as he will ascend to the throne of Israel. And then at the same time, fast-forwarding a number of years and living in Ecclesiastes, where Solomon is looking back at his life and is still dispensing advice, but he's dispensing it from a, a broken heart. It's much different in, in, in tone than this hopeful scene in 1 Kings 2 or in Solomon's instruction to his son. There's a brokenness, uh, uh, an almost jaded, he's on the edge of being jaded there and cynical in, in Ecclesiastes, and yet he is really not, he's still filled with wisdom. If you look deeply enough. And so as we think about this, just the scene, we've talked about the, the words. We haven't thought as much about as much in our services about David and Solomon. So just understand that these words are the words of a father to a son. The words of a father who has great love for his son, who has defended his son's right to ascend to this throne who has prepared the way for his son, and that David was this warrior king who, um, who, who, who uh, really vanquished and protected the interest of Israel and set the scene, set the tone, so that Solomon might be able to live out his reign without having to be distracted with wars and conflict and unrest. Solomon's reign would be one of peace and prosperity. And so I say that just to say, look at the opportunity that we see in 1 Kings 2, verses 1 through 3. What a golden opportunity that Solomon possesses here in this passage. And as we're thinking about the opportunity that Solomon was blessed with, again, his father prepared the way. Solomon was blessed with a unique and, and, and intense gift of being able to see life as it really is. To being able to see life and moving past just the surface, past the peripheral, and see the dangers in life and the opportunities in life and the things to avoid. Solomon was blessed with this almost uh, unearthly wisdom. Solomon was blessed with great prosperity. Look at this opportunity. and As you are thinking about the opportunity that Solomon has in 1 Kings 2, I would say, now, now move forward to where you are today. Men, both young, middle-aged, and old, and just look around you. In fact, I would say first, look inside you and see what an opportunity that you have. God has wired in you this strength that we've been talking about. Not only physically, but God, we're I'm preaching to professed believers, mostly professed believers today. God has, by His grace, given you a new heart and a new affections and a new ability to stand and to withstand all 
of the temptations and the obstacles and the, uh, the, 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 the vices of life. God has given us the Spirit of Christ within us who is raised from the dead to empower us to live out the lives that He's called us to live. That's an amazing opportunity. Amazing, the strength God has given you. God has wired within you initiative. This, uh, this, this, this eagerness to, to go and to do, but also tempered it with wisdom to think before you do. God has given us the ability of self-control and the, um, the, 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 the again, initiative to, to, to see and to grab hold of tasks and to conquer. And then look around you at the opportunities. We're all different. This is a general sermon to men and young men. But um, uh, so the specifics of your life and the opportunities that God has given you, when I say opportunity, I really mean the possession God has given you is so, so precious. It's so precious. It's a general message, but you know, most specifically and most usually, this possession is seen in the form of the kingdom of God, the church of God, and family. So if you're a father today, look at the opportunity God has given you with children. If you're a believer today, look at the opportunity God has given you with this wonderful church, this body of people who love the Lord, who desire to be led to know the Lord Jesus Christ and honor Him and live out a life seeking first the kingdom of God. And they are in some way looking to you to help guide the way. What an opportunity. What a blessing. And so let's move then forward. If we think about the opportunity, let's move forward to Ecclesiastes just for a moment. And let's then, with that that recognition of what God has given us, let us then more closely listen to Solomon's urgent words as he approaches death. This is... This is, um, again, Ecclesiastes can be mistaken. It, it can seem at times that Solomon is just jaded. Solomon is not jaded here. He's passionate. Solomon is very passionate in Ecclesiastes. Solomon desperately wants his son. He desperately wants you to heed and to hear and to understand this message. So let's just look at this message in Ecclesiastes 11 and 12 very briefly. And I'm going to look in verse 9. Don't get tripped up by the words young man if you don't feel that young this morning. But it is directed especially to the young men. And here's what Solomon would say to you just in a brief summation of life. First of all, in verse 9 of Ecclesiastes 11, Solomon would say this, Rejoice, O young man, In thy youth. Brothers, you need to hear that. (laughs) All these messages are are filled with soberness and responsibility and and do, but 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 rejoice. These opportunities are to weigh heavily upon us, but they're also meant to, to, to energize us and say, What a blessing! What a blessing. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee. In the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, 
and in the sight of thine eyes. That reminds me of earlier in Ecclesiastes where he said, whatever your hand finds to do. So walk in the sight of, in, in, in the ways of your heart. Walk in the ways of the sight of your eyes. Rejoice in your youth. You have opportunities. Seize them. Run after them. Rejoice in them. Of course, this is all tempered with seeking first God's kingdom. You know, you know that. And, and, and walking with wisdom with those. But brothers, young men, middle-aged men, old men, rejoice in the life and the charge and the blessings and the gift and the uh, energy that God has given to you and pursue it. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. That's the first message is rejoice. Run into life. Seize the opportunities that God has given you. But secondly, know this. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Verse 14 of chapter 12 says, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Uh, sometimes we see the word judgment, we just panic, right? But the word, the word judgment is God sees rightly. God judges righteously. God sees the good and rejoices in the good and, um, and, and validates the good. And God sees the evil and God judges the evil. And God punishes the evil. So know this, even as we are running to life and rejoicing in life, know this, that your opportunities, this is so important, your opportunities, your possessions, are a gift of God. They come to you through, directly from the hand and the wisdom of God. So if you're married, your wife is a gift from God. If you have children, your children are a gift from God. If you're a believer, your salvation is a gift from God. If you have a job, that job is a gift from God. If you have health, that health is a gift from God. If you are living in a free nation, that free nation is a gift of God. If, you're living, if you have a neighbor, that neighbor, your street is a gift from God for you, for you to bless. I'm not saying your neighbor is your possession. I don't mean that. But you understand what I'm saying. Your life is a gift from God, and God will judge. God will judge how we Use and utilize the gifts that he has given us. And so there's a seriousness here, isn't there? There's an urgency. Then Solomon would say this in verse 10. This is very interesting and very helpful advice. Therefore, because you are rejoicing, because you are seizing, because you are running into life, and because you are very aware that God has given these things and will judge these things, therefore, remove sorrow from thy heart. And put away evil from thy flesh. The word sorrow here just means moroseness or discontent. Isn't that interesting? Solomon is so wise, isn't he? That that, that as we are living this life, we are very aware that the opportunities and the atmosphere that we are living this life in is not perfect. And the imperfection of it. Is a, is, is, a, is a great temptress to distract us from rejoicing in and seizing and utilizing and leading the gifts that God has given us. Well, it's not perfect. It's not, it's not, it, it, things aren't just easy. He says, remove the moroseness. 
Remove the sorrow. Remove the complaints. Remove the discontent. Wherever you are. Again, this is a general message. So right now, if you're not married and you desire to be married, and you're just, it's eating you up, remove the discontent. Look to what God has given you and possess it. Or if you are married and it's just hard and it's, it's difficult, or if you are in a church and you're not sure where your gifting is, and you're just like, I just don't know, and, and, or a thousand other things. Remove sorrow and evil. <laughs> don't get tripped up. Solomon would say about evil. Solomon just says it in one sentence, but couldn't Solomon have said that again and again and again? This is what killed Solomon. His, his effectiveness. His pursuit of pleasure over God. So remove sorrow, remove evil, remove discontent, and then this, why, or one reason why, for childhood and youth are vanity, and he'll go on into the next chapter as he's telling us to remember the Creator, and he'll, he'll spend most of the chapter 12 and just talking about how hard old age is. And so what Solomon is saying here to you is don't get distracted by things not being perfect because the reality is your life is, a, is vain. And by vain, is not, it doesn't mean uh, not, not important. He means it's passing really, really fast. So the opportunities, uh, I, I was with a guy yesterday, and he, and he is a two-year-old, and he had been up all night long with his two-year-old. He had 103.7 fever, something like that. And he was just up all night long. He was like, I'm just glad to get away for a few minutes. And, and, but then he said this. He said, I, I was thinking through the night um, that, that it, by average way Americans live, I have about 7,000 days with my son. 7,000 days. That seems like a lot, doesn't it? It makes him like forever on some nights. But it's really, it goes by really fast, doesn't it? And that's life. Do not live as if the opportunities are endless. Do not live carelessly. Now here's the whole message. This is all of Proverbs. This is all of Solomon's life. This is everything that he could tell, tell us. He would say this in verse 1 of chapter 12. Remember now thy creator. Takes us back to Genesis 1.27, doesn't he? The Lord God made them. Male and female. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Or he would say it this way in verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Now those words are both, are both weighty, but they're also relieving. Here's what I mean by that. Just above this in verse 13, he would say this in verse 12. Look at verse 12. This is very, very wise. And further, by these my son be admonished. Of making many books there is no end. (laughs) And much study is a weariness of the flesh. You're sitting here and saying, man, I want to be a man. I want to be a godly man. I want to be, you know, whatever. I want to be be a good husband. I want to be a good father. I want to be a good church member. I want to know the word of God. And there's just pressure weighs down. What a pressure relief this is. He's saying, listen, you can spend your life theoretically thinking about how to become a good man. There are, this is written a long time ago. There's been a whole lot more books written since then, hasn't there? The the, the making of books and Brother Isaac's series of messages on this, there's no end. (laughs) Seemingly. But here's the conclusion. Just remember God. 
This word remember is the same word that, that, that it is used, that God uses when God says, I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky. By the way, there's a rainbow over the throne of heaven. It says in Revelation 4, I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky to remember, to remember my covenant that I have made that I will not destroy the earth by water again. So the confidence that you have that spring will give way, the spring rains will give way to growth in the summer, and the summer will give way to the heat of the summer will give way to the cool of fall, and the cool of fall will give way to the to, to, to the renewal, really the the, the the killing which renews of the winter, which will give way to the spring again. That confidence is because God keeps the rainbow or his promise of the rainbow in the front of his mind. And this is all Solomon is saying. Just keep the creator at the very forefront of your thoughts. This is the conclusion. Just, he didn't say just, but this is, just fear God. Just focus on keeping God's commandments. This is the whole. This is the whole of man. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. This is it. The law summed up. In one phrase, it's love, fear the Lord, love the Lord, keep the Lord forefront in your minds. We're going to get practical today, but, but that sums it up, doesn't it? Just fear the Lord. Remember, the Lord lived that life, it's coram deo, before the face of God. And so I just felt moved to just take that little time to just emphasize the urgency of this truth. Maybe the time spent in Ecclesiastes this week was helpful in that way. This is an urgent calling that God has placed upon us, brothers, to live out our lives as men. So what does it mean to keep the charge? What does it mean to be a man? What is it, what, what is it, how, how do we do this, really, is the question that we're asking. And God is so faithful in that God does not just command, but God also shows how. He demonstrates how. There's a passage in the New Testament that says this. It says that the queen of Sheba will rise up in judgment over that generation because the queen of Sheba went to see the glory of Solomon and she was amazed at the glory of Solomon, just blown away. If you remember, the queen of Sheba brought gifts and wanted to bring more gifts and more gifts because the glory of Solomon, just, it, it, it was just more than her mind could tell. The half has not been told, she said, of the glory that is here. And Jesus would say, the Queen of Sheba will rise up in judgment because a greater than Solomon is here. You see, where Solomon failed, a greater Solomon rose and came into this earth. And he came into this earth, of course, we know um, he came to this earth ultimately to bring salvation to his people. But friends, Jesus was a man. The Son of God and the Son of Man. What an incredible truth. Jesus was the Son of God and Jesus was the Son of Man. And so how do we do this? We do this. How do we become men that keep our possession well? How do we keep the possession? We do this, according to Hebrews 12, by looking unto Jesus. Now we look unto Jesus in faith, looking to Jesus, asking Him for strength and asking Him for renewal, asking Him for repentance and all these things, and, and, and for endurance. But we look to Jesus also as a man. That's what 1 Peter 2 says. 
First Peter 2 says that Jesus himself has suffered, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. We, we, we just don't fully understand what a blessing it is to be able to look at the life that Jesus lived here on this earth. Jesus was like us. Jesus, like us, was a man given a commission, and, I'm sorry, given a possession, and his commission was to keep the charge. Isn't that true? Jesus was a man given a possession by his father, and his commission was, you keep this charge. You keep this possession. So I want to look at the Jesus as we move through this. I'm going to only look at one today. We're going to do three things in regards to keeping the charge. There's sort of three sort of subheaders to keeping the charge. We'll do them all as P's. And the words are provision and protection and then progression. Look at provision this morning and then protection and progression tonight. So what does it mean to keep the charge? According to Scripture, it means that, brothers, we are called to be providers. Provision. Provision means that someone or something is depending on you. Something's depending on you. Someone is depending on you. Our, song, our, our, our prayer service this morning was a look into Psalm 68. I may look in there in just a minute. Um, and it was also songs. We sang number 49. Um, I can't quote it right now, but it's a song of thanks for the provisions that God has made. We sang number 440, which is the Lord provides. One of the primary revelations about God is that God is our provider. He's a provider. He's God. He's a creator. He's eternal. All these things. But one of the primary revelations about how God relates to us is that God is a provider. Think about the Garden of Eden. Those words from... God to Adam were not cruel words, were they? He says, in this garden of delight, you may freely eat. But of this one tree, you have to stay away from this one tree. And by the way, even in those words, there was provision there, wasn't there? The provision of wisdom and warning. Of warning his child against the evil that would come if he ate of that one tree. The Garden of Eden was filled. In fact, the whole creation really was filled as God would clothe the world and bring order to the world in those six days of creation. God was making all these sub-things, these smaller things, and all these things, the atmosphere and the sun and the moon and the waters and the fish and the birds. He was making this for, ultimately for, the flourishment and life of His highest creation, and that was mankind. So all of creation was made by God to benefit you. Isn't that amazing? Now let's turn to Psalm 68 for a moment. Just look at this. And I'm just going to pick some, pick some verses very quickly out of Psalm 68 just to 
uh, show this provision of God. So if you can't follow along, that's okay. You can read it later. In verse 5, listen to this. A father of the fatherless. A judge of the widows is God in His holy habitation. What a blessing that is. There's someone looking out for the fatherless. Who is that? That's God in His holy habitation. There is one who cares about the concerns of the widows. Who is that? That's God in His holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. What a provision. Is that necessary? Think about all the different ways God does that. God does that naturally through, through, through marriage. But brothers, that's not the only way God does that. Have you ever heard the term mothers in Israel? Mothers in Israel have nothing to do with natural mothers. Mothers in Israel are women, older women, who have enriched all of our lives through food and through wisdom and through prayer and through cleaning the church and through a thousand other things. That's one way that God has set solitary in families. You and I have no clue how blessed we are to have a local body of Christ that loves and cares and prays and ministers. And I don't mean that, I don't mean that you're, 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 not, you're, you're ungrateful. I just mean we, don't, we, we, don't have, we have not mined the depths of the blessing that it is. And you spend a little bit of time talking to somebody who doesn't have that, you'll find out, oh, wow, I didn't really realize how I should appreciate that. What a blessing. God setteth the solitary families. He bringeth out, listen to this, He bringeth out those which are bound with chains. We could spend a lot of time in testimony, couldn't we? Of how that God has brought us out of bondage. O God, when thou wentest forth, verse 7, before thy people, when thou didst march through the wilderness, the earth shook, the heavens dropped, the presence of God, even Sinai itself was moved. The presence of God, verse 9, Thou, O God, didst send a plentiful rain, whereby thou didst confirm that inheritance when it was weary. <laughs> Have you ever had that figuratively? Maybe literally. You're, you're parched. You're dry. And God sends the rain. And did you know that God might... Did God need the rain to feed His people Israel? No, no. God struck a rock. Or, or Moses did. And water gushed forth that fed them for a long, long time. But sometimes, God just sends rain to confirm His inheritance. God just sends rain to let you know He cares and He's providing. Have you ever had that happen figuratively? I can stay here for a long time, so I'm going to move forward. Let's just turn to, uh, to, verse, to verse, um, verse 18. With all these natural blessings, listen to this one. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also. The Lord God might dwell among them. And all these natural blessings, confirming his inheritance, setting the solitary in families, and blessing the fatherless, and blessing the widows, he brings us to the, to, to the greatest blessing of all. You may recognize this verse. It's quoted in Ephesians, Ephesians 4. He has led captivity captive. He's given gifts to men. Who did this? The ascended Christ, the one who came down to purchase our, our redemption, has risen up to receive gifts from men, to take captives and take the captivity that is, that is captivating the captives, take that captive. That was kind of not a bulky, wasn't it? He has taken our, the, the strong man that was binding us and he has bound the strong man so that we are released and he's given gifts to men, the gifts of 
preaching and evangelism for your benefit, your spiritual benefit. What a blessing. So he says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. We could go on and on throughout Scripture and just showing us God wants you to know and God faithfully does provide. In fact, there was a, one of the great feasts of the Old Testament was the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was this wonderful um, uh, week-long feast that came... Here's a few things about it. It came right after the harvest season. So when the, 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 the early and the latter rain had finally appeared and the, and, the, and, the, and the ground had yielded forth its fruit and the people were assured that we will be fed for another winter. Praise the Lord for that. There weren't any grocery stores. You know, that they were dependent on the actual ground actually bringing forth fruit to feed millions and God would faithfully bring forth this harvest from the ground again and at that time they would take a seven day a seven day feast and that feast was meant to rejoice in the harvest that God had brought them immediately but it was also seven days to remind them of the creation week this is the God who through from the very beginning has provided for his people in making the grass and in making the herbs and making the rain and in making the sun and making all the things that we have enjoyed for these many generations. It was a feast of tabernacles filled with celebration, filled with rest after this long har- harvest season. And it was called the Feast of Tabernacles because it was not held in their permanent dwellings, but they would go out and live in tents for this week. Tents, temporary dwelling places, tabernacles. And what was this for? This was to remind them that there had been the time of, of, of great distress. And that great distress had, brought, had been brought on by their own sinfulness and their own complaints and their own, and their own doubts of God's provision. And in that time of rebellion, you know what God did? God dwelt with them. God sent manna every single day. He fed them. He provided even for sinners in the wilderness. What a blessing. And brothers, that should be instructive to us as well. Our provisions are not for the perfect. Our provisions are for sinners. Well, the Feast of Tabernacles, I mentioned that because of this. It's an amazing verse in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1 verse 14 it says, And the Word was made flesh. Who's the Word? The Word was in the beginning with God. And the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The same was in the beginning with God. And this one who was in the beginning with God, who was God, this Word was made flesh. Here's the next word, and dwelt. You know what that word dwelt means? It means tabernacled. He, he, he took up a temporary tent, and He tabernacled among us. 
And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, Jesus Christ, the glory of God, the brightness of His glory, leaves the glory of heaven and He comes down to earth to tabernacle with His people for this great purpose that He might provide for His people what they desperately needed. He came to load us with the benefits of His great salvation. Isn't that amazing? Jesus came to provide. Jesus came to tabernacle among us. So let's think about Jesus just for a moment. Jesus, first of all, we think of His great salvation. Let's, let's not start there. Jesus came to provide materially. The life of Jesus is filled with this. At his very first miracle, what is he doing? They are in deficit. There is no wine left. They're about to be shamed. And Jesus turns the water into wine to provide joy and provide provisions that the people desperately needed. Jesus' works of healing were what? They were works to provide health and welfare to those who were without. His turns to Bartimaeus, when everybody is shushing Bartimaeus, because Jesus came to provide healing. Jesus provides food, real food, for the multitude, not just once, but twice. And we can continue to just walk through the life of Jesus and see that Jesus cared about our material Caring for our whole man. In fact, I love one of the few and precious post-resurrection scenes that we have of Jesus. He's already done the heavy the heavy work. He's already given his life as a ransom many. He's already been three days in the grave. He comes forth from the grave, and what does he do? They find Jesus standing by a fire. He has prepared one meal for one little crew of people for one time. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus cared about that one meal. Jesus is fully committed to provision. That's who He is. He's a provider. That's what God does. He loads us with benefits. But that's not the half of the glory. Jesus could have fed... Listen, Jesus said that. He said, I could feed you for days and days and days to the multitude, right? Because you come for the meat that perishes. I fed you the 5,000 one time. That's going to that's gonna perish, going to die. But you have a greater need. And the greater need is everlasting life. Because the reality is, you are sinners condemned by a holy God. And you deserve God's full condemnation. But God has given me a possession. And I came... To keep the charge of this possession and keeping the charge means that I must provide for them what they cannot provide for themselves. So let's think about the great spiritual provision that Jesus brings to His people. Let's think for a moment just about the nature of the provision. It's wonderful to think about this from different facets. The nature of the provision is that, well, here's what it is, is that it's hard. In fact, Jesus himself said it this way, greater love, greater love hath no man than this, that a man give his life for his friends. 
And so the nature of Jesus' great salvation is that it was, it was motivated, it was moved. Listen to this, it was moved by love. Brothers, did you hear that? The strength that Jesus needed to bear the heavy load was infused by love. If there is not love motivating us, we will not provide. Okay? And the nature of love is that love gives of self. That seems so small to say, just give of self in relation to Jesus. But that's what he did. He gave of himself and it endures. Just think for a few minutes about, about some of this as it played out. Jesus in John 13, nearing the end. What are those words? He And having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them to the end. And the demonstration of this love to the end was that Jesus assumes this humiliating position that no noble person, no together person, no important person would ever conceive of taking this position. And Jesus takes his robe off and he gets down on his feet and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. That was merely the beginning of his humiliation. Think about Jesus in Gethsemane. As his disciples around him that he would provide for could not even stay up for him to pray with him and to, and, and to, and to heed his warning to watch him pray. Jesus is pouring out great sweats as drops of blood as he is giving himself to the Father in prayer, praying for the strength to endure, praying that if, it be, if, if God will, this cup could pass. But he would not move because Jesus was fully committed, even with this heavy load, to loving his own and to the end. Think of the prayer in John 17. Jesus Again, at this crucial moment, is pouring out his soul to God on your behalf. Did you hear that? Thinking nothing of himself, Jesus is praying for you, and we haven't even gotten to the cross yet. I was so moved with the way that Brother Zach was talking about the cross recently and how that Jesus was saying, My God, my God, and just imagining what it was like, the energy that it uh, took, and the pain that it took to, to utter any words on the cross as he's suffering there physically. But the words of Jesus on the cross that were excruciating in nature are words of provision, aren't they? To his mother providing for a need in the very last moments of his life. When everything it took him to speak, he's providing for his mother. Jesus is, is saying, I thirst, and then refusing to receive the balm that would sort of help quench his thirst. He thirsts, and yet he will not provide for himself because he's so busy providing for those whom he has committed himself to. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. Just think about those words, friends. Words of provision, even as he suffers on the cross. That's the nature of it. It's, it's, it's enduring. It's giving. It's selfless. It's committed. 
And it's all motivated by love. But, the, but think about the quality of it as well, just for a moment. First Peter 2 describes the quality. Who his own self bear our sins on his own body, on the tree. Why? That we, being dead to sins, might live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. Jesus, we rejoice. We, we, this, is, this is core to our church identity. That Jesus fully purchased redemption. That Jesus has fully and perfectly imputed righteousness in place of debt. That we are now under no condemnation. That we are really, though our sins be as scarlet, yet they have been made white as snow. That we are figuratively, and we will one day be literally clothed in white robes of righteousness. You see, He gives us the very, very best. And so, brothers, men, God has called us to provide. To provide in the footsteps, with the example of Jesus Christ. So let me say a couple of things about this before we move into some practical things. First of all, just, just naturally as men, I think this is, this is just neat to me. I love reading different passages. There's some in Psalms, some in Job, some in Proverbs that describe the way that God has wired into the, just the functionality of animals to provide for their own and protect their, themselves in unique ways. It's just neat to think about how the God provides for the conies and God provides for the lions by having them hunt in the night, nighttime and just things like that. It's just fascinating to think about how God has wired into animals to do that. When the same way God has wired, God has wired into your makeup, men, that there are people that are depending upon you and that you're a provider. But more than that, this is a gospel subject. And that encourages me. I've always thought of provision as just being something you got to do. <laughs> you got to go to work. You got to provide for your own. You got to provide for you. Know, you got to provide for the church. I'm not thinking about only about financially, of course. I'm thinking about many things, but just a duty sort of a thing. Something that, yeah, we got to get up. We got to get up early. We got to go and got to do. And, and there's a certain truth to that. It's wired into us, right? But it's far deeper than that. This is an exciting thing. I want you to be excited about providing, because. Providing is intrinsically connected to what Jesus has done for you. Here's the proof text. 1 Timothy 5.8 But if any will not provide for his own, you can say, well, he, he's just, he's just a, a, a no good person. That's kind of what it says at the end. He's worse than an infidel. But that's not the first thing it says. If any will not provide for his own, he has denied the faith. 
What is that talking about? Why did he bring in the faith to that? It's 1 Peter 2. <laughs> Jesus has provided for my salvation that I should live unto righteousness. He died to purchase himself a people that would be zealous of good works. Friends, when Jesus purchased our redemption, Jesus purchased our lives, when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us, the greatest affection of our soul is to love Jesus and to honor Jesus and to be like Jesus. So Jesus has purchased back for, this is probably very practical, Jesus has purchased back for men ownership of the responsibility to go and do what He has called us to do originally in creation. There's power in that to me. To be like Jesus. Of course, we know that, that, that provision is, com- is, is, is compromised and complicated by the curse. That's clear. The curse upon men is directly related to provision. That out of the sweat of your brow, and out of the toil, and out of the thorns, you're going to bring forth. The, the, the curse upon men is directly, is directly related to provision. But brothers and sisters, this is the truth. Jesus has dealt with a curse. In other words, Jesus has purchased for us the spirit and the ability to endure past the trouble, past the pain. Past the complication. And so let me just say a few things practically in terms of material provision. Young men, I hope you listen to this especially carefully. If God has called you to provide, and Jesus is your example, He's called you to provide for His kingdom, for the church, He's called you to provide for a family, if that's what God has given you, then wherever you are, however young you are right now, you need to start figuring out a budget. I cannot emphasize that enough. Right now, I don't care if you're eight or you're 18, right now, if you're going to walk in the steps of Jesus, He has called you to provide, you need to figure out a budget. You need to ask somebody to help you figure out what does it look like to budget. If you have a, if you have a dollar in your bank account, if you have 10, if you bring in a dollar a week, you need to think through how am I going to use this dollar every week. Number two, you need to discipline yourself to live on that budget now. It's one thing to have one, but you need to learn self-discipline right now and how to live on that budget. You see, young men, that gum really looks good in every store. It just does. And so does that t-shirt. And so does that, that stuffed animal. And so does that pocket knife. And so does that pistol. And so does that whatever it is in every single store. It all looks good. It all does. But God has called you to something higher. God has called you to be a source. God has called you to be a provider. And you just can't be a taker in everything and provide. Okay? We must, I think one of the greatest battles we can win in all kinds of different areas is to learn to say no to instant self-gratification. Jesus loved so he gave. Jesus loved, so he turned down the, 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 the uh, whatever they were giving him, the, 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 the vinegar and the, the wine, whatever it was, and the cross. He said, I thirst and turned it down. We have to learn to do that. We have to learn to say no to self. We have to learn to say no to instant gratification. You cannot do this 
unless you are looking into Jesus. Here's another one, very practical. We must learn to understand, young men especially, you need to learn right now to understand present and anticipated costs. So I was talking to somebody yesterday, and they said to their child, this is actually a grown child, they said, I'm going to use the word they, not because I'm committed to political correctness, because I don't want to give away any hints. They said, they, at 22 years of age, have no concept of cost. So if there's a $50 piece of gum, this is the example, there's a $50 piece of gum that they want in the moment, they're going to buy it. They, they have no, no concept, no thought. Well, you, you can't provide. You can't provide if you are not thinking of what things cost. Do you have any idea what utilities cost if you turn it down to 62 degrees every night? You need to learn that. Dads, you can help teach your sons those sorts of things. Next, you need, wherever you are in life, you need to begin saving right now. Listen to what Solomon himself would say to you about that in Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30, verse 25. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. Let me say that again. The ants are a people not strong, and yet there are ants everywhere. Why are there ants everywhere? Because ants have learned to prepare their food that will not be accessible in the winter. They've learned to store it away in the summer. And so he says to us, that is exceedingly wise. Begin saving right now. And on the hills of that, you need to hear this. You need to hear this as loud as you heard the other. You, whoever you are, you need to begin giving right now. Right now. You say, my budget's tight. You need to begin giving 10 cents to some need right now, wherever you are. If you're four or you're 44, you need to begin giving right now. Jesus said it this way in Acts 20. It is more blessed. Let me, let me read it to, to uh, actually get the context. Acts chapter 20. Acts 20. Paul would say closing words to the Ephesians as he's about to leave them. He loves them. I have showed you all things how that so laboring. So you're working. Why are you working? You're laboring. You ought to support the weak. You're laboring to give. Isn't that something? You're laboring to provide. That's why we labor. Laboring, you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Friends, think about the blessing Jesus received from giving, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Think of the, think of the, of, of the reception that Jesus received when he ascended up into heaven. Think of the last day when Jesus will bring us all together through forever with the Lord and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now think of what Jesus gave to receive that. It is more blessed, he says, to give than to receive. 
I'm going to keep moving through this really fast. We can think about this more later. You can look at these references for yourself. You need to, you need to <clears throat> practice right now. It's going to take some effort. You need to practice learning to trusting God as your ultimate source of provision. Deuteronomy 8, 12 through 14. I won't turn there right now. This is a very, 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 very important thing. Lord, you're the one that provides. In Deuteronomy 8, Moses warns them, if you don't get this right, you're going to lose everything. You're going to begin to think, he says, that your, your wit and your hands and your brains are all you need. And it's not true. Everything that you have comes to you as a gift from God. And if you're not cognizant of that, you're going to become arrogant and you're going to become filled with yourself and you're going to take this possession, whether it's the church or the family, whatever, take this possession and you're going to squander it because you're going to be walking in your own strength. Brothers, we must not walk in our own strength. And so a good way to practice this Listen to me, a good way to practice learning to acknowledge and trust God as source of provision, a good way to practice that is by this, praying sincere prayers at mealtime. I don't mean anything fancy. I just mean something, something a, little bit, a little bit more thoughtful than thank you for the food, nurture your bodies, amen. I mean, Lord, this broccoli right now comes to us from your hand. It took rain. It took the ground. It took a harvest, and you brought this to us, Lord, and we thank you for that. Believing it will sustain us for another day. I'm saying it a different way. I'm just saying, this is a good way to practice it. Praying sincere meal, prayers at mealtime. Here's another one. I'll do three more. Learn, practice to not trust in uncertain riches. Becoming a generous person will help, help you do that. But here's what... Well, in fact, let me read this one. 1 Timothy 6. This is another great tempter to trust in uncertain riches. Well, how do we keep from doing that? 1 Timothy chapter 6. Here's what he says to us. Charge them that are rich in this world, they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but the living God, who giveth us richly, he's a provider, all things to enjoy. Well, how do we combat that? That they do good. That they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. These are all words of giving, of benevolence, of generosity. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. I am thankful to see uh, more young people becoming more responsibility with the financial means that God has given them. But I'm also concerned to see more young people as they are responsible, being responsible only for selfish interests. When I think about the men who have sustained my life and the lives of, of many others, I think about people like Claude Ewing. Who did not die a rich man, but he gave himself his energy and he gave of his of 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 his uh, of his um, blessings in very generous ways for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. All right, a couple more that Bible says are very important. Learn to be content. Learn to be content. First Timothy six six through ten. You look at yourself. The final one is this. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 
chapter uh, 4 for a moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, I just said, I just said we need to learn to trust God as our ultimate source of all provision. The same Paul who said that is the same Paul who writes this. So let me just tell you that when we're saying learn to trust God as our ultimate source of provision, we are not saying, God is not saying, Paul's not saying, you have the right to be lazy. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say lazy. You have the right. You don't have the right to be negligent in this. So what I'm saying here is strive, strive, strive for independence in your life. And I don't mean independence from God, but I mean this. Let me let me say it this way. First Thessalonians four eleven, and that ye study, you give effort to be quiet. In other words, you're not causing trouble, not a busybody, and to do your own business. You're taking care of your own sphere. And to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, that you may have a good reputation toward those on the outside, and that ye may have lack of nothing. This is the same Paul that organized massive um, um, generosity efforts to help those who were without. The same Paul who did that. So there is no, there is no uh, uh, ill thought towards those who receive generosity. The same time, he says, you give it your best effort. That you are providing for your own. That you may have a good reputation on the outside. And that you might not lack. Now friend, in the early church, that wasn't possible. In Acts, in Jerusalem, they were all having to pitch in together to make life continue to go. But the effort, if God and His providence allows the circumstances to provide for ourselves, we should, we should, in the steps of Christ, seek to be a provider for the kingdom and for the sphere that God, possession that God has placed in our hands. And I didn't even get to uh, some thoughts on spiritual provision. And so I welcome you to come back tonight. We'll try to finish this tonight. I pray, um, listen, we could have gotten up here and just, uh, just given some practical advice. But I don't want you to see this as, as just a moralistic thing. This is, this is, this is it's so important that we tie this to what Christ has done for us and in us. Brothers, young men, I want you to be excited about the idea of providing. It's a blessing. You get to walk in the footsteps of Jesus who has provided for us far more than we could ever, ever ask or think. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. What a provider he has been. How you have loaded us with benefits. Thank you for today loading us with a beautiful singing that stirred our hearts and the prayers that were sincere and rose to heaven on behalf of those whom we love. Thank you for providing us your word. Father, we, 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 uh, we, we might not like hearing everything we heard today, but Father, we, 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 our hearts uh, recognize the truth and the wisdom and the value and the beauty of Jesus in this word. 
And so, Lord, give us the strength then to endure and to love and to care and to provide. We pray in Jesus' name and amen.